Hello. Hello. Wait, let me see if I get my recording right this time so we don't burn another episode. Hold, hold, <laughs> hold please. <laughs> Clicking. I have clicked. How are you? I feel like it's been a long time. We're growing distant. <laughs> I was going to start this episode just like, hey, this is episode uh, 207 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Daigle. Today, I have Sean Devine with us. Uh, Who is this gentleman? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at this rate, we, we record like one episode for every one we release. You know? <laughs> no. So, oh, no. Hard to know the real odometer on this show. Not great. <laughs> no, no. Today we're going to get it right. Uh, disclaimer, I still have twins here. It's possible they will squawk, and it's possible my audio editing abilities will not unsquawk them. <laughs> you must deal, internet. <laughs> deal with it, internet. Yep. That's just how it's going to be. <sighs> All right. Uh, let's first just catch up personally. So everyone else can know what we've been up to. Uh, you're not traveling this week? Uh, I am, actually. <laughs> you are traveling? <laughs> yeah, Thursday. I see. Yep. I'm a, I'm a traveling fool these days. Right. Now, when is the big GitHub Universe conference? Uh, Thursday and Friday, October 1st and 2nd. Okay. So that's, that's next week. That is next week. I, I went to the website since you promoted it so effectively last time on the episode that didn't get released. Um, and I saw that your, your face and name are on the page, but I didn't see you in the agenda. Did I miss it? Oh yeah. I'm in there somewhere. You are? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, let's see here. Where am I? And, and why don't you give the full pitch? So for those that don't know, Kyle's going to GitHub Universe, which is a conference in San Francisco that GitHub throws that he did a good job of promoting in the aforementioned unreleased episode. Yeah. So why don't you do it again? Yeah. So GitHub Universe is a two-day conference coming up next week, Thursday and Friday um, in San Francisco, California. Are there California. tickets available? Tickets are available now. <laughs> GitHubUniverse.com. Uh, do you have a promo code of any sort? Um, I don't know that there are more tickets on said promo code, but listen to you being Mr. Choose your own adventure. If you can use promo code K Daigle, all capital letters to attempt to get more delicious (laughs) tickets for this wonderful conference. That reminds me. I saw someone tweet today that, uh, you know, a joke, but. Um, they said, uh, promo code, my, my, my year living off of items I bought from podcasts. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. That is pretty uh, funny. okay. So one, sh- you, you told me last time, I'm, I'll see if I remember the pitch. So one should attend if you are technical, cause it's a relatively technical show, or if you're involved in technical things, but are yourself not a programmer, there is much content for you. Uh, oh yeah. Accurate. Mucho accurate. Uh, okay. I mean, it's a it's actually a pretty cool conference. Uh, it's kind of festivaly. If you use GitHub at all, um, it's definitely a great conference for you to go to, regardless if you're super technical or not. It's primarily around how we build software together, you know, and much less on the nitty gritty of how C compilers work or whatever. So, um, if you enjoy technical topics, but maybe you know you also enjoy the quote unquote soft topics. 
um, this is the conference for you. It's got a, quite a wide uh, variety of speakers. It's kind of actually like a little crazy. Hmm. Um, is it so. for people, do you think, just in the San Francisco area or are people traveling in for this event? People are traveling in, but um, because of just uh, logistics, uh, i.e. timing, you know, uh, getting getting to San Francisco from the time that GitHub announced the conference is a little tight. So I do imagine that the majority of attendees will be from San Francisco, but I do know of plenty of people who are going to be flying in for the pleasure of this conference. So it should be fun. Is there tech done outside of San Francisco? I don't remember. I don't know. I am pretty sure I'm a part-time janitor. <laughs> Got to make ends meet. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it sounds good. I I said last time that I it sounds like the sort of thing that my wife and I would have loved to go to, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh you know, we are doing a trip next week though. This is a a fun quick diversion. Whoa. Yeah. Uh so here's the plan on Monday, uh Teresa and uh, Violet and Ivy, the two babies and me are going on a road trip from here to Pennsylvania, to Michigan, to Chicago, to Wisconsin, and basically reverse. Oh my God. I'm going to be in Milwaukee. <laughs> oh, really? Well, yeah. We should meet up. <laughs> now, do you think that this is a great idea or a stupendously terrible idea? I don't know. I, uh, I, I, um, Godspeed. <laughs> that sounds like the unspoken terrible idea. Answer. I mean, I don't know. Every everyone's kids are different, and so I don't know. Maybe they'll just sleep the whole time. That's a lot are of you, whole, that, there, you, there's a big whole time in that. In that, yeah, 10 a lot days. of driving there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not that far between each of the stops. And, yeah, it's only uh, like eight hours from here to Pennsylvania. Well, I guess depending on where you're going. Well, the Pennsylvania leg is, is relatively short. That's like three and a half. It's the Pennsylvania to Michigan leg. That's the, the backbreaker. Um, we'll call that the, uh, the baby NyQuil uh, leg. Oh geez. No, I, I'm you're going to have to walk that one back on no, Twitter tomorrow. Come on. That's, <laughs> it's a bad joke. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> it's a bad joke. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, I will be traveling. Looking forward to it. Seeing it's it's a tiny bit of business. Um, you know, I can I've got some flexibility in what I do, so I can work from the road. Uh, I've got some meetings that, that are that should be interesting, and then uh, well, some family stuff. So, should be good. Nice. All right. Well, let's get to it. So, uh, in between last episode and this episode, I hosted the API first training seminar. And it is a, a font of good content for us to chat about. So I think we should uh, dive into it. Yeah, it's good that we haven't talked about this at all. I'm very curious. Right. Yeah, no, for real, too. We're not just mocking <laughs> each other here. <laughs> yeah. We, so we, first question, hold on, let me see if I can read this. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, uh, given our you know general lack of preparation for the show, I think that you should ask questions to the extent that you feel capable. And I will answer so that when you're asking questions, I can formulate my response. This is my request, okay. my requested format, sir. Okay. So, I mean, so first, I mean, let's just softball it. Uh, give us a quick just rundown of what the hell you were attempting to do here. Uh, what was this API first training? Right. So like almost two months ago, maybe, maybe seven weeks ago. I don't know. I think if you listen back to old episodes, you could hear the thought process, but I had noticed a pattern in, in things that I get asked both sort of directly uh, online and to some degree in person. And then, um, 
just things that were chatted about, about people wanting to know more about the process of developing Rails applications where you think of them as really an API um, for other clients. And especially with JSON API going to 1.0, I think that ramped up the interest in this approach. Plus, I'm one of the core team members on JSON API resources, so that that may have brought some more attention to it. And I had I have a couple of, or maybe a few now, production apps that use this exact approach that have been really successful and have really gone well. And uh, I, I thought, you know, I should, it seems like there aren't good materials. It's not like a blog post kind of topic. It, it requires a little bit more than that. Um, and I like the topic, so maybe I will host a, an event, you know, to, to dive into it for people that are interested. So probably didn't think this through given that I had the babies on the way and, <laughs> you know, some number of other business ventures that take up significant time. My wife, Jamie was just like, Sean seems a little overwhelmed lately. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is bad planning. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. So, you know, but I, I thought, like many... API first, planning second. <laughs> fact. <laughs> that's uh, that's going to be the title. We never figure out a clever title during the show, but that's going to be it. Yep, there you go. <laughs> API first, planning second. So anyway, so I hadn't exactly thought through doing this, but, you know, like many things, if I had known what it would take to do it effectively, I wouldn't have done it, and then I would regret it because I'm glad I did it, so... So anyways, I uh, decided to launch this and kind of like, you know, put some feelers out on, on on Twitter. I may have mentioned it to you. And there seemed to be a lot of interest. So I decided to host it um, online for a, yet a last Wednesday, so the 16th to the 18th. So six hours a day, three days in a row. That's and, intense. Right? Right? Like Another, just as an attendee, that seems intense, you know? Uh, uh, true. And as, as the attendee, I think it was intense. As the host, I can absolutely tell you it was intense. <laughs> uh, and put that on the list that I'm, of things that I'm not positive I had thought through, which is, you know, how grueling it would be to do uh, 18 hours of hosting a seminar in three days. The answer is very grueling, especially if you had not done it before. You know, not done this this content. But anyhow, so I decided to do it. Uh, promoted it a little bit on this show, uh, promoted it a little bit on Twitter, CodeShip helped promote it, and then I put an ad in Ember Weekly. That, that's sort of the extent of my promotion. And uh, I got to tell you, it was uh, yeah, it was a really good experience. So anyway, so that's the background. The, 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 uh, the sort of learning objectives of the course from my perspective were to sort of teach about what JSON API is, teach about the idea of separating your uh, server from your clients, uh, implement an example server using JSON API resources and pundit and OAuth and, you know, therefore JSON API, and then implement a client in Ember as an example of something that could hook up to the server, though, um, other clients would be talked about and possible. So that, that, that's the, that's the, uh, medium length answer to your question. Hmm. So you had like how many people? Like eleven people? Fourteen. Fourteen people, okay. Fourteen people attended. Now I, I didn't you know, I'm not even sure if I told you this, but uh I my goal was fifteen people and um sort of adjusted for a couple things. I think I actually almost exactly met the goal. Um so yeah, so I had so I had fourteen people, which is an interesting number. I think it's a pretty effective number. So I had never attended a, uh, an event like this, 
and uh, nor had I hosted an event like this, but the, the format was Slack. And by the way, Slack is just as good for a seminar as it is for everything else that you've used it for, <laughs> which is to say great. So the format was everyone got, I invited everyone to a Slack channel um, or Slack team, I guess the name is two days in advance, which is great. Like it made me think about how every event should do this, right? Like if you're going to go like give an example, if you're going to go to GitHub universe, it'd be great if there was a Slack team for GitHub universe yeah, where you I could agree. chat with people because when, by the time I got to Wednesday, like people kind of knew each other. I knew the attendees cause we had chatted back and forth. They had, you know, well, we'll get to this later, but the, the types of attendees varied quite a bit. So people that needed a little bit more help with setting up their environment got more help early. People that kind of had common interests or geography got together early and, you know, figured that out. Um, it was great to post things like, uh, like the code of conduct for the event, like what I expected in terms of how people would, would treat each other. Um, things like links to the, uh, learning objectives, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, that was great to post and then, you know, refer to later. Like it was Slack was perfect for an event. I think probably made the event sort of more personal in a lot of ways than an in-person event would be just because yeah. it was quite easy to connect between people. Um, yeah, I've got a, a good story at the end of our conversation about that. So anyway, so so that's the first part, which is Slack invitations went out in advance. One of the best things that happened wasn't my idea at all. Someone else asked if, you know, we could do that. They thought it'd be clever for all the reasons I just said. So I did it and it was great. Um, and then uh, a, a Google Hangout on air, which I tell you was perfect. It hmm. made it so that everyone could talk, right? So it wasn't just me talking. And did they talk? Yeah, you know, way more than you'd think. Yeah. Uh, I'd say of the 14, maybe four spoke regularly. Um, you know, in, in, in a good way, regularly. Maybe two never spoke, give or take, except for introductions in the beginning. L language barriers involved here? You know, interestingly, there uh, you would have thought there'd be language barriers because of the demographics of the attendees. Uh, but there really weren't language barriers. You know, so English was the second language for, I'd say one, two, three, four, five of the 14, I think. Um, maybe six. It's almost half English was the second language. Um, but English was a, or English was a <laughs> easy for me to say. <laughs> uh, Sorry. English was, uh, not a problem for any of the 14. Okay, so cool. I think that it was just sort of a personal preference thing. So some people really put a lot into attending. They were completely dedicated to it. They wanted to participate as much as possible. Some people, um, and those people tended to be like those changing careers, those that maybe wanted to like bump up the quality of the job they had right now, et cetera. And there's some people that were taking the seminar as part of their job. And, you know, they would be called away to meetings now and then, or, may, or maybe someone would come by their desk and whisper to them. So, um, you know, they may not speak quite as much, but everyone participated. Um, some people felt more confident or comfortable participating in Slack. So instead of talking in the Google Hangout, they'd chat it in Slack. And then I just noticed that and read it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that ends up being one of the things about Slack that's interesting is that it, it's a much more inclusive way to collaborate. Like, well, I think Google Hangouts is actually pretty inclusive compared to an in-person event 
because it sort of accommodates people that both want to chat and those that want to lay back. And then Slack is like a different vector in that there are some people that want to, ch- to participate, but feel uncomfortable about speaking. Like oh yeah. Interjecting. And it really accommodates their, their sort of learning style and collaboration style pretty well. So that was the combo. So basically it was a Git, a couple of GitHub repos that people could, um, fork and then use, um, Slack for chit chat, um, before, during, and after. So there's still the Slack team and people still chat a little bit, which is nice. Uh, which I also think would be good for a conference, say GitHub universe. Like, wouldn't it be great if you like went back afterwards and then could go and like chit chat with some of the people that you saw and interact with some of the content that had been posted to the Slack channel. And then during was, uh, Google Hangouts, which, uh, was perfect. Like that's how I shared my screen. That's how we, you know, if someone spoke, it would switch the camera to them, which was nice. If they, if they wanted to speak, this is interesting. So some people wanted to speak, but didn't like the camera on them. Like they just, you know, felt uncomfortable about that. Hmm. So there, that was a thing. And that was probably three of the 14, um, two of the 14 liked to speak and didn't like the camera on them. So I yeah, lots of lessons learned. Like I, I had never attended anything like that. I had never put on anything like that, but I got to say it's a, it's a pretty good way to do it. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I mean, I've only, I've done a couple of these sort of like either online conferences, which are very much like consumption based and not interaction based. And I mean, I found them sometimes to be good. I like them in much shorter bursts with lots of breaks, you know, so you can kind of like do it and still have a mildly productive day. I don't know if you've ever done any of those. You know, I I haven't. No, I I like them. I mean, that's, you can't compare it to a normal conference, you know? Um, but it's, it's, it's still pretty neat. Um, and so I've done that and I also have done like trainings, like learn how to write JavaScript or whatever it was. I forget. Um, and that was still very much like there's campfire, but the main consumption method is, you know, watching a video and the, you know, the instructors can listen to Slack and maybe hop in and out. Um, or I guess back then it was campfire, but, uh, and hop in and out and answer those questions. And that's been good, but, uh, you know, not to go on too much of a tangent, but the interesting thing for me with Slack is it really reminds me of like smaller startup teams working remotely, you know, like there's, there's some degree of at a certain size, like at a certain maximum number of people that I feel like text is just the perfect medium, you know, because mm-hmm. there's, there's so little, um, pain in typing out a dumb question, you know, <laughs> like dumb and giant air quotes, <laughs> right. uh, instead of being like, this is my face, this is my voice. I'm going to ask this question now. Uh, and so I really enjoy Slack for that. But then also at the same time, because people are putting it, the questions in Slack, they're also able to teach other people in a way that has textual responses, you know? So when you're like, oh yeah, no, th- you know, this person explained it to me. Let me just scroll back a day later and reread it. So I really understand it. Um, cause the video is so high bandwidth. It's very hard to, um, you know, uh, take it all in. And even if you want to rewatch it, you have to, you know, do it at the pace of the instruction and not necessarily at the pace that you're, you know, willing or, or ready to, to, to learn and text kind of helps that. So I think that's very cool. I think the Slack tip is really a great tip for, a ton of events. I do wish more conferences had official like back channels, you know? Um, it's really great. I mean, I think like if I was going to run a conference, which I never would do, but if I was going to, um, I would absolutely have Slack mirror the physical conference. I'm positive of it. Yeah. Um, 
it made for a great time. It was it was fun. Plus, like plus, I, it was it offered some some sort of like personality heavy parts of the experience. Like for example, people were all from all over the place, which we should we should talk about that next. And so I put a pictures channel in, and like people posted super fun pictures of where they're from. You know, pictures awesome. they like took out the window. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me. Uh, I was going to say, let me read our first sponsor before we do that, but my uh, computer is having trouble loading it. <laughs> so let me <laughs> let me tell you about where people are from. Um, so you, I mean, do you would you have guessed that it would have been an international heavy event? You know, um, I, I I would only because of my like experience at GitHub has like desensitized me to. Uh, you know, just people being everywhere, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, both coworkers and users. So I think it's cool. I I, I don't know that I would, uh, I I would feel nervous personally, like taking one of these courses, say that's based out of the UK or like Germany or something. You know, um, not because I think they'd be bad, but just because you know, there's a whole culture piece there. So I, I applaud people who, um, you know, sort of do take that leap. Yeah. I mean, it ended up being, I think, one of the favorite aspects of the event for attendees. I mean, I think that well, we'll get to some of the feedback later, but I think this was an unexpected benefit. I think a lot of the things that they got out of it, they expected to get out of it, but this wasn't one of them. So the so there are 14 people, and here's the distribution. So uh, half were from the U.S., so seven of the 14 were from the U.S. And in the U.S., I think the only place that had two people from it was L.A., or two people from L.A. there. The rest were all over the place. Texas, Washington, um, Florida, I think. You know, all over the place. But the other seven were from... It was two from Japan, which I would have never guessed. One from Australia, two from Brazil, and two from Canada. Wow. Yeah. So uh, we start, it was interesting to negotiate the time that we would start, right? Because people signed... I said that I would try to accommodate the time zone that would sort of make sense for the most people. And uh, as you can imagine, there is no time zone that really makes sense when three of the attendees are literally on the <laughs> other side of the world. Yeah. So, but, you know, given that the rest are are on this, uh, this side, we went with um, a, an 11 a.m. Eastern time start time, which, is, which was interesting, right? Because that accommodates the West Coast, which had three or four of the people on the event east coast and then for for the people in japan and australia it started at uh midnight and 1 a.m respectively so they go the one the two people would go from midnight to six in the morning and the other would go from one to seven um and i i would have bet at the beginning that at least one of the call it pacific attendees would have dropped out just because that's punishing to get up at or right. to stay up from midnight to 6 a.m. or 1 a.m. to 7 a.m., but no one did. And in fact, they were uh, some of the more sort of participatory of the crew, which was uh, interesting. So let me ask you, um, let me ask you this. Uh, I, I feel like uh, with, with these trainings that, um, you know, there's a wide variety of both formats, but as well as, you know, like costs and whether that be the actual dollar amount or that be, um, the time, the schedule, you know, uh, or the sort of amount of time you need to clear off your schedule. I mean, how much do you think that played into 
um, what seems to be a successful training because, you know, you had a three day event, um, you know, possibly for maybe, you know, 30 or 40% of the people, this, the time was not ideal. The, the schedule was not ideal. Um, you know, and it was a relatively, you know, uh, uh, high ticket, um, training, not saying it wasn't worth it, but this is just a large dollar amount. And so I'm curious if you think that led to people being, you know, more invested or, um, you know, or do you think that didn't really play into it and you just got some good eggs coming? No, I think that that played in. I mean, I think that the sort of trait truism that, you know, uh, pay nothing, value nothing, that kind of idea is true, right? So if, if I said, hey, I'm going to run a seminar next Wednesday to Friday and it's free and everything else is the same, uh, I think that uh, you'd have, you know, 10x the attendees and one-tenth the quality and that it would negatively affect everyone. You know, so another, because one of the things that I think is, is quite clear in hindsight is that one of the, you know, one of the the best things about the experience for everyone is that everyone else was there for the same reason, which was to learn. Yeah. And if, you know, if there had been diversity on that dimension, I think it would have been a huge negative, uh, because there really wasn't. I mean, I think some people were more intent on learning everything than others. That's, that was definitely true, but not, you know, we're talking relatively small degrees. Like people were Mm -hmm. basically there for the same purpose. Whereas I think uh, the, the, as the price, and time commitment uh, as they could have gone down. I think the diversity of sort of intent would have gone up. And I think that would have been a problem in hindsight. Now, I don't think that I had totally thought that through. Yeah. But I think that that, that seems to be, that seems to be what, uh, you know, what, what the outcome was. Awesome. Okay, cool. So, yeah. So, I mean, you do the training, um, you you how how well did the blackjack example hold up in our previously recorded but never shared deep cut uh episode um, right. you had discussed uh you know some concerns uh or you know some curiosity about how how complex an example should be in order to make it an effective teaching tool um and i sort of said i think blackjack is pretty complex um but because it's so commonly uh, understood, or at least, you know, there's usually everyone has some exposure to it. I thought you'd be fine. Um, were you fine? Do you, did you like your choice of blackjack? No. <laughs> Why not? No, I didn't. Because, you know, I thought that the, I thought the, the whole event was as big of a success as I could have hoped for in spite of that choice, in hindsight. Um, so it was working against me. Um, I think as much as I wanted to think this wasn't true, I could have done a blog example and it would have been easier on me and probably as effective or more effective. Did you get any feedback from the students specifically about this? I didn't. And I think I deserved it. So you just, you think you overthunk, you overthunk it? Yeah. I think I was too close to the content and that like, for me, the combination of, you know, uh, JSON API as the, as the standard to, for the server to talk to a client. And then on the server side, rails four two plus JSON API resources, plus pundit, plus OAuth, um, plus RSpec, plus RSpec API documentation, that cocktail on the server. And then on the client, uh, Ember and Ember simple auth and JSON API that, that, you know, that, that cocktail to me is so familiar that I think I, I, I overlooked how intense that experience is for someone, even that's familiar 
with a lot of parts of those technologies, that combining them all into sort of an approach that works is somewhat overwhelming in the first place. So you really don't have to add like complexity on the domain to make the points. Like it can be almost as simple as I could imagine and give or take, you could, you could communicate the same things. Interesting. Yeah. I I think I got that wrong. And I think I, uh, now the part that I got right is I, I prepared pretty well. So I had an application that was pretty well factored and built in the first place. That was pretty good. That, that meant that the, the rails training experience was nice. It meant that the repo that people could fork was in good shape and, you know, the testing was good. So all, all, all that part I was happy with, but no, I thought the domain was, a um, interesting for me to think about, but one too big to create a sample app for way too big. I mean, by an order of magnitude too too big to dive into in the class. Um, and in the end, probably it doesn't much matter what the domain is. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, on the flip side, there are things that matter that I didn't expect to matter. So, you know, one of them is, and maybe I should have seen this coming and I didn't, but live coding is wildly popular. (laughs) Yeah. It's, that's always kind of made me chuckle. Um, uh, what do you think made it so popular in your training? Is that surprising to you that it would be popular? No. I mean, I think that people enjoy feeling like they're not getting like duped, you know, (laughs) and, and I think bring a little bit of humanity to the trainer or the person doing the instruction. Um, that's my assumption. And so I think that when it's live coding, they can follow along with your thought process, which is probably the most valuable part of the training, if anything, you know, um, but, uh, but it all, it does always sort of make me chuckle just because it, it does add, at least in my experience, a like exponential amount of, of more work, you know? Um, and maybe not, maybe you just kind of did it by the seat of your pants and you just were like, Hey, well, you know what, here we go. <laughs> uh, but whenever I, whenever I personally do like a talk or something that isn't a more of a training, like trainings, I feel like there's, there's more forgiveness in, but when you're doing a talk or something with live coding, I always, uh, here's a little t- a tip for the crowd. Um, uh, I video, my code so i'll live code once and i'll i'll take a quick time screen grab of my entire screen so that if if the uh if the live coding thing just just melts down horribly i just full screen the video click play and talk talk through it instead so i think rob specter of twilio gave me that tip at a conference once and i've been doing it ever since so so back when i was so i used to to um I created a company a lot of years ago, like 15 years ago now that, um, sold, I guess you call it enterprise software and <laughs> go on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now that the t- everything was so different then now that I think back to it, but, um, we had the canned demos of everything for that purpose. That was like sort of the live coding version, but uh, you know, we did the same thing you just mentioned for any time we we're going to show anything because the likelihood of it working, you know, is not a hundred percent. Um, but in this case, I did not do that. And I think, so I think that you hit the, hit the key points about why people like it, but cause I got a ton of feedback, like of the 14 people that attended, I got feedback from almost everyone about in detail about their experience at the conference, which was nice and is also a benefit of Slack, which I'll get back to later. But, uh, the, the sort of overwhelming consensus was that the live coding was helpful to people. And I think the reasons were that one it makes me more real. 
Like it, it, it just, it's interesting for people to see a per, like it makes me a person, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. not someone that's reading a script. Now we did live coding where we were not live coding something that I had previously coded. We did that in one case, but the part that people really liked, I think, was we decided as a group what feature to implement next. And then I just live coded that multiple times. So I think that kind of like upped the humanity. Cause like the idea that like I was just performing some sort of rehearsed pageant was clearly untrue because yeah. you know, we just decided what to do. And you know, I think this is a little strange to say about myself, but I think that in general, uh, it was like watching me code is probably like a, you know, aspirational for most of the people. So they like, I'm more comfortable coding in front of a group than they are in on average. And, you know, my TDD skills are probably a little bit better than, than the groups. Um, I mean, and your humble skills are definitely. No, no, this is not, not, I'm, I'm going to reject that comment. I'm going off the feedback. Like, you know, Hey, you know, hey, I, they thought I was awesome. So no, no, I mean, I can, I can live code TDD. That's true. And, and that's not something that the on average people were comfortable with. So, um, and, but, but the, the flip is that if they just saw a video of me, uh, or anyone, um, showing like the perfect way to code something, it wouldn't have had the same effect. Like sure. they want to see the stumbles and the thought process and the oops, go back and do this. And the, you know, the, how do I use my text editor? You know, like things like that. So, so live coding was a pretty big hit. Uh, and I think you're right too, that it absolutely ups the possibility of problems. Like by a lot. Yeah. Um, I really didn't have any, like, I think there's only one place where I couldn't figure out the bug live and punted it for, you know, for a couple seconds. So I could look at it while other people were doing things besides that, you know, I kind of TDD my way through it. And uh, I, I have a little bit of trouble typing and talking and typing as quickly as I'd like to. Um, okay. You know, it just sort of slows me down. So I, I think I found a rhythm where I would, w- when I needed to type a lot, I would pause for five seconds so I could just bang out, you know, those words. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that was faster than trying to type and talk the whole time. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. So that's part one, part two. And then this is going to segue into our first very belated sponsor, um, is I completely did not, um, understand how popular TDD could still be. Like I fundamentally underestimated so popular it. or, um, uh, like la- still, there's still a lack of market penetration. Oh you my, know what I'm trying to say, Oh my God. Like, that's what you're saying, right? Like that people are like, Oh my God, this is really this good and not yes. so much. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, so if you look at, I think I shared the, the spreadsheet with you. Yep. So if you look at the survey of the attendees, look at the question about their TDD skills. Yep. And this is one of those topics and I actually don't have it in front of me right now cause I've had browser trouble while we're talking. But, uh, <laughs> uh, if you read down it, I mean, if you were to, to sort of listen to the echo chamber of the Ruby slash rails community on Twitter, you'd think that everyone was a 10 on TDD. Yeah, 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 right. And that in fact, like it, like beyond 10, like, you know, it, it, it it's almost passe to only mm-hmm. be a 10 and not be in, you know, some sort of clouds. But, mm-hmm. but if you look at the attendees to the seminar who, who are all professional r- rails programmers, 
and like good programmers, you know, there was a, there was a variety of experience. Some people were, um, had more experience than others. But if you look at the rails column in that spreadsheet, I mean, these are not new people to rails and they're all right, getting right. paid, you know, real salaries to write rails every day. Right. And what does the TDD column say? Like, it says, uh, the highest score was a what? Five out of out 10. Of 10. And most, I mean, most were like the average has to be what, like a two and a half or something. Right. So think about that. You know, that th- this is, I think a, um, you'd think a self-selecting group of people that are more interested in learning the right thing, way to do things, given that they're taking time to learn more and paying, you know, sometimes out of their own pocket or they got their employer to pay for their education. And, uh, you know, this is 2015 and the average, like you said, was a two and a half on TDD, which means basically they can test a bit. Maybe they do some integration testing, but man are not confident. Well, yeah, and, and and I will say with some defense that like, you know, it also matters a ton potentially of what your day job is like. And so the presumption I would have is that none of these people are TDDing with the, their larger team, you know, with the larger development or engineering team. And so uh, I, I feel like a lot of people have TDD for like as an aspirational goal, primarily because their work does not subscribe to that methodology, you know? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, I think furthermore that my sort of hypothesis coming out of this would be that the reason it feels like everyone TDDs is that in open source, that's true, but, but, or, you know, open source that people use, that's true. Um, in other words, like all of the open source libraries in Ruby that are popular are TDD or, or mm-hmm. if they weren't TDD, they're heavily tested. And at this point are TDD. Um, but that is not representative of commercial code. That's only representative uh, or or commercial programmers. It's just representative of popular open source applications. Mm-hmm. And that most people don't work on uh, open source apps. They may use it, but they don't actually write them. Um, and most people just work a job. And most jobs aren't test first. Right. So, therefore, most programmers are the people that aren't vocal you know, in the community and aren't writing the apps that other people see, and they don't know how to test. Mm -hmm. And, uh, man, this was a reminder that, not a reminder that this was like a, this was a revelation to me. Um, I, I just, I didn't appreciate how true that was. Maybe I should have, like, maybe I should have seen that coming, but I didn't. Um, you know, so, so to what the point of what I was going to say is that, um, the combination of live coding and showing how to TDD real code, that's the, that was the secret popular thing, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the comment that came again and again is that um, people don't really know what to test and they like the idea of testing, but just don't feel like for their world, they can figure out how to make it work in a way that's like value add. And the, the common comment was, now I see that that's probably just that I haven't, I don't know how to do it. Not that it's not doable because right. what we were working on is the same stuff I work on right. and we TDD would it and it was better. So, you know, it, it gave people hope that there's a way that is like not hype centric that they can apply to their daily life. And, you know, I, I sort of would have thought that in 2015, that wouldn't be the, the, the sort of most popular sub theme of the event and it, and it was. Interesting. Is that surprising to you? Um, 
uh, like yes and no, you know, because it was such a the the interesting thing is that you you took it like for granted potentially, you know, like is part of the training. It was very much like you know this is just how I work. It sounds like, and so you know you did it that way. And the main content was about okay, we're going to build an API with Rails and we're going to consume it with Ember, um, but. A whole side of that is the workflow side. You know, like what tools did you use, Sean? Like what strategies did you use to build it and everything? And it's like, you know, part of me thinks that I, if you remember the old peep code, like play by plays, you know, like I feel like I would pay a monthly subscription just to watch people code. (laughs) You know, like here's a problem that I can understand. Now let me just watch them code it and. Hopefully they can talk a little bit about it, not super esoterically, but just sort of like you have 15 minutes to solve this problem sort of thing. Um, Because I do think you can learn a ton just by watching people sort of like go out to the shell and be like, oh, I'm going to run this little command. You're like, whoa, 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 what did you do there? So I think TDD solves that that little problem or that itch, you know, of, oh, okay, this is what, you know, this does. Yeah, absolutely true. And I mean, I saw that that was true, that a lot of what people got out of it was the, the like little pile of tips right you know like like running like so a couple examples running the tests in your text editor sort of and having it be second nature on how to do that like run my last test run this test run this files test you know that kind of stuff that little things like that that you know people see how important it is to come up with a few tricks to your workflow so you can keep moving or pretty big they're pretty big deals yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, hey, picking up a few of those can make, like, hours worth of difference to your day. Oh, yeah. That alone could be worth the price of admission, you know? And I'm, that's not even... I'm not... That's a very cliche phrase, but I, I do believe that that's totally true. I mean, there's... I remember pairing with a coworker at GitHub, and, and he was just using one... Um, uh, I've never seen, this might be embarrassing, but like, I've never seen anyone use git add dash P to be able to like choose the lines of stuff that, uh, you know, you want to commit in a single commit. And I was just like, Whoa, 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 whoa what, what, what did you do there? And he's like, Oh yeah, get, get add dash P. And I felt so stupid that I didn't know it. But now that I know it, it's like, Oh my God, it's so nice. And so I do think that there's, and I don't even remember what project I didn't know you could on. do that by the way. Yeah. So if you do get add dash P it uh, allows you to basically build a patch, you know, and so you can mm-hmm. go through and be like, all right, yeah, I want these lines. No, I don't want those lines. No, I don't want this. And so you don't have to drop down to say like GitHub desktop or some sort of, you know, client GUI. Um, so yeah. Cool. So the more, I, you know, right. So we've got, I've got lots, lots more good content. Um, I feel like we've barely even scratched it and we've talked about a lot. So let me do, speaking of testing, let me do our first sponsor who is okay. CodeShip. And I want to personally thank CodeShip at the beginning of the sponsor read. So, you know, CodeShip is a company, but it's also made up of a bunch of people. And those people have been great to uh, the show, obviously, and to me in helping um, do API first testing. Um, they were so gracious in, in getting the word out to the community. And I think helped maybe a, f- a few of the 14, uh, found out about, um, the opportunity, t- uh, through code ship. So I just wanted to thank them for, for working with me on that. And, uh, it was uh, very nice of them and they were great to work with. But anyhow, code ship is a hosted continuous delivery service that focuses on speed, security, and customizability. You can set up Uh, your continuous integration solution on CodeShip in a matter of seconds and automatically deploy when your tests have passed. CodeShip supports your GitHub and Bitbucket projects. And you can get started with their free plan today. 
Uh, I've talked about it on the last couple months of episodes, but they've recently launched their organizations plans. It allows you, and I, and I actually finally use this for, uh, for this event last week, but you can create a team, uh, set permissions for specific team members and improve collaboration in your continuous delivery workflow with their organizations, um, feature set. You get to maintain centralized control over your organization's projects and teams with that plan. If you go to codeship.com slash five by five Ruby, you'll save 20% off any premium plan for the next three months by using the code five by five Ruby. So again, I want to thank Codeship. Uh, they are a great supplier to me in my business and a great partner to the show. Thanks Codeship. So one little thing that I found a little surprising, um, maybe I shouldn't have found this surprising either was the diversity in the attendee set to this seminar does not match what you hear about the diversity at events, which is to say it was diverse (laughs) and, you know, popular, popular trope would be that, that, you know, it's a bunch of white guys in hoodies. Um, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like, it wasn't at all that, like it was quite the opposite of that. And, you know, I've been trying to think about because because multiple people mentioned it after either during or after the event to me that they that, you know, it it was interesting for them to see a a group of people that uh, come and learn about this that didn't match what you imagine as the, you know, the Rails programmers. So here's what I mean by that. It was, I'd say the average age was, you know, I don't know on this one, I'm going to guess at least late thirties. I'm going to say my age about, um, so, you know, a good 10 years older than what you'd expect. If you read the, like say stack overflow survey of what the attendee ages would be, uh, it was, there were more women than you would think based on the surveys you read. So how many were there? One, two, three, three of 14 mm-hmm. were women. You know, it was very international. It was diverse in a couple of other dimensions. And um, I found that interesting. Like, and I, and I think that there's something to it. Like, I think that there's a combination of things that drove it. One, I think um, going to events in person is difficult for people. Oh, geez, yes. And having an event that you can go to that accommodates your life, like allows you to drop your kids off at school or stay at your house, you know, like just fits into life was just really appreciated. And it it was a good reminder of how important that idea is. You just say like, okay, like how are the choices that I'm making about this event that I'm designing? How do they restrict attendance from certain groups? And this one happened to be like, as you know, I think as inclusive as possible, given that it was remote and that the timing was somewhat flexible and uh, some other things. And you can see all of a sudden, you know, that the attendee set reflects that the sort of the logistical facts. Um, and like encourages, I mean, I don't think I need much encouragement on this one, but encourages me to, to, to sort of exploit that, exploit that idea that, Hey, if you're flexible, you open yourself up to this entire big group of people that are interesting that, you know, if you're not flexible, you don't have access to. Right. No, totally. And do you think, like, do you think the primary reason for that was because of its, you know, remote, you know, choose your own adventure nature or 
Yeah, I think that that was the bigger, the biggest part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was to assign percentages, I'd say like two thirds to three quarters was that it was remote. Yeah. Um, I think. Well, yeah, maybe another bit, so maybe twenty percent or something, was that it was solving not like an academic problem, but a very practical problem that you have to solve if you're like writing real apps. Uh, that was a big deal. Cause I think if you look at like what conferences talk about conferences, don't talk about that, you know, for the most part, at least, you know, most conference talks are cute or esoteric, <laughs> like not to generalize, but there we go. <laughs> right. Like in other words, if you're going to submit a conference talk to like a big conference, you're either going to try to be like super nerdy. Yeah. At a big conference. I, I completely agree with you. Super nerdy or super cute, funny, you know? wacky. Uh, but I don't think that there's a lot of like <laughs> belt and suspenders topics at conferences, <laughs> especially, you know, these sorts of conferences. And yeah. the fact that this was like very belt and suspenders, like how are we going to make sure that we can write an app that works in the real world on boring business problems? Um, I think that that probably was a little bit of it. You know, in other words, that appeals to your, you know, your sort of regular quote programmers more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the third part was that, you know, I'm that demographic a bit more. Yeah. I I don't like, I I wouldn't have, maybe if I had thought about that, I would have guessed that too. But from what people said, I think that that's a factor. Like they feel more like, uh, people know that I'm a little bit older and, you know, maybe, maybe seem like, uh, I don't know. not in the, you know, the 22 year old hoodie demographic, uh, which maybe makes them feel more comfortable. Man, after this conversation today, I really feel like I should stop wearing my hoodies. I don't have anything against him. I mean, here I wear, so just my uniform that I have on right now to, you know, try to toe the other line <laughs> is my black jeans and a black t-shirt and slippers, which I wear every single day, basically. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't know that I'm wearing anything different than a hoodie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I think being a little older probably helps. Yeah. It just makes people a bit more comfortable. Okay. All right. So don't wear a hoodie. Be older. <laughs> what other... So if I wanted to put on my how to hook it with Kyle <laughs> oh, no. live, live training. Oh, no. <laughs> webhooks. But webhooks. Oh, I uh, see. What... I mean, what... like. You know what? What sort of tips do you think uh, are worthwhile? You know, what did you learn that maybe would would have helped you before you started this? Would you do another one? Um, you know, I would do another seminar for sure. Um, would I do this exact seminar? I don't think. Uh, no, I think I probably would. I think I would first do some others, but I mean, there was relatively significant demand for it um, because if you figure the you know, the number of people that expressed interest that could also make those three particular days in a row, six hours a day. Right. I mean, like the, the, the numbers dwindle once you get to those sort of like brass tacks. Uh, so I think that there, there's enough demand for, you know, some number of them that I do that again. I think that the next seminars that I would do would be one day. Um, why? Uh, two reasons. I think that they're easier on me first. Uh, it's pretty hard to do three days. Um, I think it's hard personally for me to do it, just fit it into my businesses, fit it into my personal life, um, fit it into my energy level. 
It was it was like <laughs> wicked exhausting to do three days in a row and and do the quality job that I wanted to do. Um, so I I think that it was a little it was a little much. Um, and I think that it's also putting a lot on the attendees. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. I think that uh, doing a one day seminar on a more limited topic and then allow allowing people to like do effectively this seminar over the course of four months um, by picking you know. Two, three Fridays in that four months, I think would, would work fine. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be easier on me. So, um, I think that's what I would do. I'd say that the, the most challenging thing, uh, or, uh, you know, a thing that, that I experienced from this that I, I would like, um, talk to you about if you're going to do this mm-hmm. is, and there are a lot of them, but one is have strategies to deal with, um, a very diverse group in terms of of how uh, how progressed their capabilities are you know so there we i had some people in the seminar that were i'd say advanced right or very good programmers were very experienced with the tools were interested in more advanced topics uh there were some people that were i don't know that i would say beginner i don't think that's quite accurate but you know mm-hmm. intermediate barely Okay. Um, and then people in between. And then there were some people that were um, mostly strong on the client, um, more people that were mostly st- strong on the server, but plenty of each. Some that were strong on both. And it's somewhat intense to try to balance that. Yeah. Right? Because like my, my uh, approach going in that I thought a lot about, and I'm glad I did, is to rem- is to not attempt to produce an event that was good for the average attendee, but rather to produce an event that hit the key objectives of all fourteen individuals. Mm-hmm. And then if I did that, even if the other like half of the time wasn't what each of the fourteen was interested in, if they get their objectives met, mm-hmm. then they're completely cool with it. They'll yeah. just tune out for the other half. Yeah, you know they'll read email. They'll whatever play foosball they'll like (laughs) people are not upset if they can take some time and do something else if their objectives are met Mm -hmm. so that's why i you know i I had everyone fill out their top three objectives we talked about it as a group i talked to individuals the extent to which i I thought that i needed some clarification and then i just tracked the whole time how am i doing against those Mm -hmm. like am i for every individual hitting what they came for and um that worked Right. Cause then I got to the end. I wasn't surprised that everyone had a good event mm-hmm. because right. like I knew what they wanted and I purposefully hit the individual objectives. And, um, you know, the, the thing about doing it that way is that it's tiring. Of course. Yeah. Right. Cause you, you have to constantly balance, you know, okay, have I talked about this topic enough? And if I, if I talk about this one, who am I going to lose? And how do I make sure that I balance that? And, you know, this person's going, way slower than everyone else. How do I meet their needs um, while not annoying the guys that are more advanced, you know, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, I think that the solution is what I said, which is, is just to make sure you hit their top three goals and don't worry about if every minute was necessary to hit them mm-hmm. because they're not worrying about it. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one. Uh, number two is, you can really count on the group to help each other. Um, so this was an interesting event. So if you think about like the number of attendees and the, you know, the, the revenue of the event in the number of days, 
um, if this was an in-person event, I'd have like a staff there, right? Like to have, like people to help and there would be like at a venue, but it was just me. Um, and my solution to deal with it, it's just me and there's 14 people and they're very, they have a large variety of uh, needs is to ask them to help each other. Mm-hmm. And man, that worked great. Like, so for example, like a one, more than one. So multiple people had s- some trouble getting the environment set up because they were, just, you, you know how it goes. They're just yep. new, newer to getting that set up. And, and, but part of the benefit of the event is, is figuring that out for them. Right, right. Sure. And then there are some people that the last thing in the world they'd be interested in doing is helping someone else set up their environment. <laughs> there are others though that are okay with it because, you know, they're more advanced and they're there for things we're going to get to later. And they can spend an hour or two helping this person on the side as we get going and they'd mm-hmm. feel good about it. Mm-hmm. So I just tried to make it so that it, people could sort of in Slack really did this for me, it surface their needs and then have people that can help self-select into helping. Right, 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 right. Man, was that great. Like, I think it made the people that helped feel good and it made the people that got help feel great. Um, and you know, there was one attendee that, and if, 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 um, she's listening, you know, I'm, I, um, I felt strange saying this on Slack, but I was like really proud of her because at the beginning she really was not super familiar with how to get some of the things set up that we were doing. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh man, you know, here I want every, I want to hit all 14's learning objectives and I'm not positive if we're going to get it done. Yeah. (laughs) It it seems like maybe it's going to be 13 out of 14. And wow, she stuck to it all three days and got help and was very appreciative of the help from another two people in the, in the uh, seminar. And by day two had everything like working. Okay. And by day three was participating and like, I don't want to overstate it. I mean, you know, she's newer to all of this and some others. So, you know, she's not as far along in her ability to, to build an application than they were, but compared to the first day, she like went a mile and a half and it was really because of the collaboration with other people. That's awesome. That were in the class, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, definitely. Really nice. Well, we should do a, uh, we should do our second sponsor. Okay. You're going to be excited who it is. It's GitHub, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) They're sort of an, sort of like, you know how my stuff is like always sort of a sponsor of the show? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So is GitHub. (laughs) So GitHub is always a sponsor. No, this is our favorite um, online mattress vendor. Casper. Oh, Casper. <laughs> That's With right. Just the right spring and bounce. Right. Now, if, if I had been a betting man, I would have said that it would be unlikely that Casper would come back because I wouldn't have thought we would have sold many mattresses the first time. However, apparently this was not the case. Casper is back. And let me tell you about him. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. The mattress industry is inherently focused consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Well, they're revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to you, the consumer. To you! To you. (laughs) A Casper mattress provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. Casper's mattress is one of a kind. I feel like I should do this whole ad in an official radio voice ad. Yes, please. Casper's mattress is one of a kind. It's a new hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. They've combined two technologies, latex foam, memory foam, for what is it, Kyle? Just the right spring and bounce. 
Um, you failed. It's just the right <laughs> sink. Oh, sink. <laughs> just the right bounce. Spring and bounce are synonyms. If it, they would be repeating themselves in your <laughs> slogan. <laughs> uh, anyways, sink and bounce uh, come together for better nights and brighter days. Uh, you can get a twin-size mattress for $500, and $950 bucks will get you a king-size mattress. Compare that to industry averages, and you'll see that's an outstanding price point. They have a risk-free trial and return policy. You can try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days. Or 100 nights, I think they should say. 100 nights. With free delivery and painless returns. They're made in America. In case I didn't say that, I think they're based in New York, right down the road from us. So you can go and get 50 bucks towards any mattress by purchasing at, uh, let's see, casper.com slash rubyonrails. <laughs> a URL I would have never imagined uh, a year ago. That's casper.com slash Ruby on rails. Again, 50 bucks off. There's some terms and conditions apply. So read up on those. And I want to thank them Casper for supporting five by five in the Ruby on rails podcast. Yeah. Go get yourself some bounce. Yeah. Have you bought a Casper mattress? I haven't. I haven't either. I thought about it. A coworker stayed at an Airbnb that had a Casper mattress and he loved it so much when he got home, he actually went and bought one. So maybe he used our promo code. <laughs> I think he, so. He was the guy. I mean, once I'm up for a mattress, I'm going to have to do it. Just, <laughs> just so I can open that box and just watch the mattress, you know, I know. come into existence. I know. We're, we're like the, the podcast ad that doesn't include that little little anecdote. But I know. we don't have a Casper mattress, so I'd feel I know. disingenuous if I explained. Yeah, but like, you know, we're nerds, right? You know, I mean, what are nerds like? They like dry ice and expanding mattresses. <laughs> yep. All right, onward. Back to the uh, back to the recap. So, anything else you're interested in about this experience? Um, I mean, I'm I've, I'm 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 uh, in a way surprised that it had as many people as it had. <laughs> and and I, I hope you don't take that the wrong way. But uh, I know. But how we, am I supposed? How am I supposed to take it? Well, we have we have discussed that you know that it was. Um, I don't recall you know, that you were a little surprised just about the overall number of people that 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 joined. I don't recall this conversation actually. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. Anyway, but I'm curious. You know, you marketed this right, and obviously the podcast was one avenue, but you also tried some other things, and I'm just curious what you thought was um, helpful there because the training, you know. Talking to yourself in a Google on air is how I spend my Friday night. So I was just curious. Yeah. How it was with actual too. audience people. In the- well, yeah. So I I think that this will like put our business guy hats on for a second. So uh, marketing this had the feel of every other sort of commercial endeavor I've ever done, which is before I launch it, I have all the confidence in the world, right? Like, this is going to go great. Of course it will. I, I hear the feedback all the time about this topic. I can recognize the need. I can produce the content and be a personality to do it. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Confidence galore. And then you launch it. And then, um, the day that you launch, it, you feel good because like the traffic is pretty high and you get people to share it and you're getting like the initial attaboys from, you know, the people that know you. And then like day two to day 20 happened. <laughs> and you're like, what have I done? You know, no one's buying. 
I've uh, abandoned my boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, no one's coming to the website. Like, uh, I'm a, I'm a fraud here. You know, here I'm convincing myself this is going to be popular. And for what? On what basis, Sean? Here you go. And, you know, what have you done this time? You know, there's that oh, whole sentiment. Sure. And then, you know, day, it wasn't that long after. I, I actually should find a little, I don't know if I can do this and talk at the same time. I should find a little graph of when people signed up. So maybe like a week, five days in or something. Um, and I, and I announced it like seven weeks before. So I wouldn't expect people to sign up forever in, in advance. That doesn't make any sense. Um, there isn't really any purpose. So, you know, five days in one person signs up and, you know, at that moment you're, you know, in day four of the, of, of, of your, of the morass, right. This like rough period. And that puts some wind in my sails. I'm like, ah, see, you know, I knew it, but you know, then it's another like eight days until the next person signs up and then another 14 days till the next person signs up. And I found that period between like post launch to maybe four weeks later till three weeks before, which is when things started to pick up again, mm-hmm. it's kind of stressful and <laughs> not, not stressful in that, like, you know, uh, it's not like I had invested, you know, a hundred thousand dollars into putting this on or something. So it wasn't sure, stressful sure. that way. It's just stressful in that you, you want the things you do to succeed. And you want to, you know, you want to be right in what you guess, which is that people really care about this. And, you know, people are willing to take their time and money and invest in themselves to learn more. Um, but one one thing I've learned, because I've succeeded at some things in business and I've failed at some things in business and, you know, pretty big successes in some ways and some pretty big failures in other ones. And one thing I've learned is that I always, my, uh, default is to underdo it in marketing. And that if I ever have a doubt, it's to overdo it because overdoing it will still not be overdoing it. I'll still underdo it. And, you know, I kind of like fell back on that lesson that I've learned. And that's when I reached out to CodeShip and they helped me promote more. I advertised in Ember Weekly um, for five weeks, I think, mm-hmm. which uh, generated like a third of, of the attendees said that they um, first heard about it from Ember Weekly. And I promoted it on the show every week and I tweeted things about it. You know, like pretty regularly mm-hmm. every day or two or every mm-hmm. two or three days, maybe. And, uh, you know, sure as, sure as it goes, you know, what I found out is that the demand that I thought was there was there and you just have to stick it out, right? You have to like not quit in that, that tricky period between the day after you launch and a few weeks in where, you know, most of the demand for something like this is going to happen near the end. Mm-hmm. But in order for people to sign up, they had to know about it in advance. They had to be like prepping their boss or their significant other to spend the money. They had to be like preparing their schedule to probably be able to come. And as long as you stick to it, then like, you know, three weeks in all of a sudden you see signups pick up. And then in the last week, you know, half the signups happen. Um, and, uh, you know, not to be cheesy about it, but I was sort of, I was sort of proud of, of sticking to it because like you said, I, you know, all along you could have been like, Oh, nope, this isn't going to get enough attendees. And, uh, you know, the combination of, I think investing a little bit of marketing and just sort of keeping up marketing myself definitely paid off. Yeah. But it's stressful. I mean, I don't know if you find it stressful to do that sort of thing. Oh yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> like deeply stressful or, 
my just, God, just, yes. just a little bit stressful. No, super stressful. I enjoy doing things that other people have figured out how to get people to come to. I mean, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, it's, I, I do find it very stressful because I it, it'll consume me like in a in in a good way if that is my main objective. But you know, presuming it's not, not not ideal. Could, I mean, I could, very, could I very much love the experience of having conceived of and done and had a successful event that people came to and had a great time and like, you know, wearing that badge. Like I really like that, but it, it sort of sucks to wear the badge of like, I had an idea and it got no response. Like that sucks. <laughs> it sucks significantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Not ideal. <laughs> no, no. But now that I've done, now that I've done it once, and I think this is another lesson I've learned in business. Now that I've done it once, um, it's the path to doing it again is relatively clear. Right. Sure. Like, so for example, if I decided that I was going to do like a Friday seminar series for, you know, 10 Fridays and it was going to be a variety of topics, I learned a lot about what those topics would be from this. I learned about how to use Slack effectively for this. I used, learned about, uh, the right way to use Google Hangouts. I learned how to promote it. I think I learned about where the price point is that makes sense. Um, which is great, right? Like you take all these lessons and then the next time isn't as stressful. Like when, when you have day two to 14 and like you have one sale in day two to 14 and like traffic goes down, you don't sweat it. Cause you're like, right, this is what the curve looks like. Yeah. And then like later it'll come up. So it's one of the things I like about launching new things is that once they're launched, you get to look back and go, oh man, this is, you know, now look, I understand it, but man, the, the launch itself is, is stressful. Yeah. Um, speaking of stressful, let's talk about credit cards and taking credit cards on your website. <laughs> oh man. This, uh, this, uh, uh seventh inning stretch brought to you by Braintree. <laughs> I don't know. How does Braintree always get the cheesy minor league baseball treatment? No idea. Show? Excuse me. <laughs> I think it's there. I don't know. It must be, they must, must have a sign on their back or something. So this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is also brought to you by Braintree, code for easy online payments. If you're building a mobile app or a web app or a mobile web app and searching for a simple payment solution, check out Braintree. Their V.0 SDK makes it easy to offer multiple mobile payment types. You can start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, credit cards, and more. All the single integration. To learn more, and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com slash rails podcast. A couple of additional points uh, that I've mentioned before that you may be interested in. If you are writing your application in Ruby or JavaScript or Node or .NET or Perl or whatever, they have a, a elegant... Uh, uh, clients built for all of those uh, environments, uh, Android, iOS, etc. All of the the uh, SDKs uh, have clear documentations, example apps, and it should be easy for you to get your uh, integration with Braintree up in minutes. If you don't have time to do that, you can give them a call. They'll either help you or handle that integration for you. So, anyhow, I want to thanks thank uh, Braintree for sponsoring uh, the show once again. So, Sean, I would like to make some money, and the way I would like to make that money is via taking people's credit card numbers. What What have you learned? <laughs> are we still in the ad, or are we beyond the ad now? 
<laughs> Sean, you're not supposed to break the fourth wall. <laughs> the ad very specifically says do not break the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you do that, actually? I, 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 I couldn't tell if you were using a, a service or something to, to do the site and everything. So I did. Now, this is one of the things I got right. I, 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 you didn't fall into the trap of building an application to teach your class? Uh, no. no. I mean, it occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> like every developer yeah. under the, the moon. No, I did not do that. Well, when I, when I decided to do the seminar and I wanted to put the website... Uh, up for it and allow people to sign up. Like that was just going to be right too much to, to do. Um, even in my delusional state of this seminar was a good idea. Seven, seven months ago, uh, that did not occur to me. So I searched for, uh, you know, the different applications that people use to sell tickets to events of any sort, like concerts or, you know, online events or whatever, and looked at the different ones. And I picked, um, pick a tick. Is that how you say it? P-I-C-A-T-I-C, Picatick? Yep, probably. Yeah, Yeah. right. And it was good. So basically you just kind of define the event. So it could have been a concert or whatever. And I I used this as the homepage for the site, you know, and just got API.training, which by the way, was a, a, a very good, or API first training, that ended up being a very good URL. Um, people seem to remember it really well. And the SEO on it. Now, I don't think I've ever successfully SEO'd anything in my entire life. Until now. <laughs> Until now. This is the first time I've ever SEO'd anything. And, like, and totally not on purpose. But if you like type in API first training, like just those three words together in Google, yep. Yep. I think it's the first, or it was the first one. I don't think it is now. Uh, look what you've done. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I used Picatick. I set the site up on that. It allows you to put up, you know, good content. Um, there are good messaging features. Like if someone wants to ask a question, there's an easy way to, to have that question asked. If, uh, it allows like promotional codes, which I ran like the code ship promotion, you could use a, a code, the Ember weekly. So I'd know who's coming from where, um, I gave a student ticket to, to a young person that was in school and wanted to come that, you know, for a discounted price. So it sort of handles all of that pretty well. Um, handles emailing out to all the attendees pretty gracefully. Um, and then I think they just take a percentage of the gate, so to speak. So like, yeah, totally worked fine. Um, for got you out. and your customers. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a non factor. Like I didn't think about it much. It just worked. They didn't think about it much. It just worked. Mm-hmm. It's like what you want the software to do in this sort of thing, right? It just sort yeah, of right. got out of the way. So, yeah, that was, that was good. Uh, I would recommend it. I mean, I don't really know what the other options are, honestly. I don't remember what they were, but this one worked fine. That's good. <laughs> yeah, sure. Right. That's kind of a non-event. I'm like uh, kind of astounded. Usually there's horror stories about PayPal holding up your money for three months. No, they, they used Stripe for the integration, and it was like a, super easy. Wow. Yeah, no, no big deal at all, actually. All right. You know where I wonder if they host? At GitHub? <laughs> I suspect they do. I wonder if they host at DigitalOcean. <laughs> You know what, Sean? I've never heard about DigitalOcean, but they sound fantastic, like a Mai Tai on a summer day. Mm, Yeah. Well, let me tell you a bit more about them. DigitalOcean provides simple and fast cloud hosting, I've heard, built for developers. 
um, from uh, what people have told me, you can create a cloud server in 55 seconds for as little as five bucks a month. DigitalOcean is built for developers, maybe like the people that make Picatick, uh, and is used by over 400,000 of them, including me on some projects. It's highly scalable to meet the demands of a rapidly growing application or business. You can even resize your existing droplets to meet your needs as you grow. You know what? I don't think that Picatex uses DigitalOcean because I did find the one criticism I'd levy at them is that it's a little slower of an app than it should be. Like, it's not exactly weightlifting. <laughs> right? This is not a powerlifting app. It should it should be pretty oh, snappy. Oh, boy. Oh, doggy. And I would not say it's... Shots fired. Yeah, bang, bang. <laughs> I would not say it's as snappy as it should be, so... <laughs> Please note it, pick a tick. Please note it. That You know, on the on the plus side, I never talked to a person from pick a tick. Always a good sign. Always a good sign when you don't have to talk to anyone. Anyhow, back to DigitalOcean. You can choose your operating system uh, from all of your usual popular favorites, and then one-click install... Uh, apps like Django, Docker, Rails, Ghost, WordPress, etc. can deploy servers in regions all over the world with gigabit speeds and 99.99% plus uptime. They've got full-featured DNS management to easily manage your domains and auto-backups and snapshots so you can easily clone and deploy your servers. It's super easy to get started. You can deploy an SSD cloud server in as little as 55 seconds. Again, five bucks a month. You can get 10 bucks credit towards your new account if you go to digitalocean.com and use the code RubyPodcast. I never remember what that code is. I always think it's going to be Ruby on Rails or Ruby on Rails Podcast, but it's Ruby Podcast. If you use Ruby Podcast at DigitalOcean, you'll get $10 credit. That's two months on their uh, entry-level plan. So I want to thank them for supporting the Ruby on Rails podcast. Let's bring her home, sir. All right. And so he, you know how you always force me to boil it down to three takeaways? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boil it down. Coming at you. Oh, no. This is boomeranged back to me? Yeah. Yeah, coming right back at you. Oh, oh, good. So you you just you just embarked on a journey, a training journey, of which I think almost anyone could come up with something worth teaching. Whether they're a good teacher or not is yet to be seen, but there's always something to be taught. So you've done this class both from the planning, the marketing, the selling, the doing. You know, I want to train somebody and make some money doing it. What is uh, what are your your three takeaways that you think are nugget worthy to share with the crowd here? Mm. I don't know if you can hear them, but there is a giant crowd. The crowd, of, the crowd of babies in the background. I can hear I that. Know. They are not happy with your nuggets of knowledge. No, you they're ready for me to wrap up, so I'm going to be concise. Uh, number one, uh, embrace remote. I think there are, even if, you know, we could have gone, I could have gone out to New York City or Boston or gone out to Chicago to do this event. There's no location that would have been better than remote. It's way bigger than any city. <laughs> TM. Uh, <laughs> I'm buying that domain name right now. Yeah, way bigger than any city, city.com. Um, so that'd be first is embrace remote. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, number two is treat everyone like an individual. You know, don't think of the the class as a group. Think of the class as a bunch of individual people that have goals that are very different. Try to meet each of those goals individually. 
And then oh, babies are melting down. And then three is uh, like embrace your own sort of humanity, right? Like people don't want to see you be perfect. They want to see you be a person. And uh, I think that, you know, people like that. I knew what I was talking about, but I think that as much as anything, they like, if you just, I don't know, just be yourself, you know, have a good time with it and don't mind when things get a little screwed up now and then. There we go. Those are my three. Awesome. All right. Well, if you want to follow me on Twitter or GitHub, I'm K Daigle, and I have a mild announcement now. If you've made it all the way through this episode, this marathon double header, and you want to go to GitHub Universe, uh, I have confirmation now <laughs> that the next uh, handful of you that would like to go, free ticket on me. Uh, type in K Daigle uppercase, all the letters K D A I G L E into the promo code box. And you can see me in San Francisco and a bunch of way cooler people than me. <laughs> yeah. uh, Do we get to see anyone else? Kyle? Yeah. Lots of cool people that aren't me. <laughs> so, oh, that's uh, fun. Good. All I ask is that please only take the tickets if you can actually come. Um, yeah, just because it is short notice and it is in San Francisco next week. So if you can't get there, um, please hold off so that way somebody else can grab them that it will be able to go. Um, but yep, GitHubUniverse.com, buy a ticket on me, K Daigle. Oh, good. All right, well, if you want to connect with me online, uh, Twitter or GitHub or most places, I'm barely known. So until next time. Adios.